Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler, Steve Russell, as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world. Hi, this is Steve Russell. Welcome to our show today, Christian Living That Counts. We are people who are living renewed lives and trying to make a difference in a broken world. Welcome, listeners. Glad you're back this week. Going to cover a topic today. It's just going to be uh, just just me and you. Uh, we're going to discuss some things that I think are important to the Christian life, and uh, one particular question that I think everyone uh, would like to have some time to think about. And I'm going to try to prompt that thinking a little bit. But it's a simple question and has very complex answers. I've come up with twelve, uh, and that's not one for each apostle or anything. It's just uh, just came out to be twelve when I made the list. I'm sure there are probably 1,200 when you hear the question, but uh, we may have to revisit the subject at some point in time. But today we're just going to take this question, this simple question, and look at some possible uh, reasons and some solutions. The question is, why more Christians don't live like Christians? Why do some of us simply not live the way that our name indicates we should? And uh, we're, as I said, I have 12 suggestions here of reasons. And, and if you think of any, I'd be happy to take an email. I'm, I'm very easy. I'm steverussell.org at gmail.com. So you can get to me. And if you come up with another one as a listener, we'll sure uh, start compiling another list. And we may end up closer to that 1,200 when we come back on the air with it. But for today, uh, why more Christians don't live like Christians? Uh, let's look at 12 possibilities. The first one that I listed, and I think it's maybe my pet peeve and soapbox, is something that is addressed in the book of James. But I'm going to state it like this. I think many Christians don't live like Christians because they confuse hearing with doing. Uh, we hear a lot of things as Christians that are good sounding. He's uh, like, oh, that's right. That's a, that's that's the way it ought to be. That's uh, what we ought to work for. That's what uh, we ought to try to achieve in our lifetimes and so forth. And in fact, uh, even sometimes we feel good about that. If we're not living that way, we we, we like people to slap us around a little bit. Uh, it's not that we're masochistic or anything, but we just like, oh, oh, that that's right. That hurts a little. Maybe I'll, yeah, okay. Now I feel adequately punished for for not doing that. And unfortunately, that's all we go out with: a little slap on the wrist or uh, or a little reprimand of our of ourselves. But we don't really convert what we heard and what our mind and maybe even our heart agreed with, we don't convert that to doing. And I think that's really a number, the number one cause why Christians don't live like Christians. We confuse hearing with doing. And, and, and you know, think about it, how, how this can be really exacerbated. If you have a person you consider to be a great speaker in the pulpit and delivers great sermons and you just, oh, we've got to come hear our preacher, um, he's, he's great, uh, or she can really teach a lesson, uh, you need to go to her Bible conference and, and all this kind of stuff. And 
Somehow we think because we sit under that sermon or we sit in that Bible conference that's presented and we hear all these good things that we're actually doing them. And and it's amazing that we could confuse that, but I believe many of us do. Um, again, James said that we are not to be hearers only, but doers of the word and not like those who delude themselves in some translations. And, and you know, I, I, I think about that word delude themselves, and I think how horrible it is to tell a lie. Uh, I think a book should be written or maybe another one on top of the 1,000 that already have been written, and I just haven't read them yet, on what it means to tell a lie. And it's a terrible thing to tell a lie. Uh, and and uh, human-to-human relationships, it's always destructive. Uh, but unfortunately, from time to time, we do that. Uh, it's worse, uh, at least you feel that way, when someone has lied to you um, and you believed it. Uh, so, so not only are we sometimes liars, but we are the victims of lies and we believe lies. But I think probably the most heinous lie of all is the one we tell ourselves about ourselves, and then we still believe it. Um, that's terrible. Uh, that is what James is talking about, deluding ourselves, believing that somehow in this confusion of hearing and doing that we're actually doing when in fact we're, we're only hearing. I think I would be remiss to mention these 12 things that uh, cause Christians not to live like Christians if I didn't offer some type of remedy or suggestion of how you might overcome that. So to keep from confusing hearing and doing, I I think one of the things that we we could all do is um, identify the different challenges that, that we hear. Uh, someone says we should devote more of our time to something or we should devote um, uh, greater effort in prayer, that there's some challenge that's always going to come down to us. I would suggest that when you hear a challenge to your Christian life that you simply write it down. Don't try to remember it. Write it down. Keep like my 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 Bible is is sort of like Abe Lincoln's stovepipe hat. It's become my file box, and so I've got all these papers stuck throughout my Bible, particularly on the inside cover and the outside cover. Um, and, and take this list that you write down of challenges, and you realize when you hear it, this would be something that you should do with your life. Write it down, keep it in your Bible somewhere close, and give it a few days or at most a week or so. And then evaluate yourself, literally grade yourself uh, on the, the way that you have answered those challenges. And if you find that you're still uh, challenged by that and you haven't really taken any action or done anything and you're still just in the mode of hearing something good, uh, then you know that there's something wrong and you really t- need to take a greater action. And, and I would suggest uh, persistence here also. Don't give up. If you get out there a few days, you get out there a week or so, and you look back and you think, man, you know, I really need to do that. I wrote it down, and it still challenges me that I haven't done it. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't throw the paper away and make room for another challenge. Stay with that one until you have become a doer. Um, and so that, I think, is one suggestion that I would leave with you to uh, match up our hearing and our doing so that we become doers of the word and not merely hearers. A second reason, I think, why Christians don't live like Christians uh, might come under the heading of we confuse believing or thinking with doing. Um, 
this is a this is a plague uh, on the Christian faith. Uh, Dallas Willard, the late great scholar, uh, who was a USC professor um, of philosophy and just a brilliant, brilliant thinker. He was called America's C.S. Lewis. Um, but uh, the late Dallas Willard, at, at one point in his in his uh, watershed book, um, made made this statement that he thought that worldwide there were about thirty three thousand different denominations. Denominations are not uh, of Christianity are not typically created uh, by uh, acts of charity and charity and kindness and love. They're created by different thinking. And if there's 33,000 different ways of thinking, and then we all group up under 33,000 different different flags or banners because of the way we think. Uh, that just doesn't seem to line up with the teachings of Jesus at all. Uh, Jesus did not seem to to stress that. Uh, in fact, if he was confronted with doctrinal questions, uh, he typically pushed them into practical answers. Uh, he would often tell a story to set the stage for that uh, that uh, answer that he would give, and and he would be very practical about it. But some of us are hung up on what other people believe or think about God or about our Christian faith or Christian doctrine, however you want to phrase it. Uh, but we get hung up on that, and we think right thinking is necessary. I, and, and again, that creates a, down here in the buckle of the Bible belt where I live, it means there's a church on every street corner, and they're planning some beside those uh, because we disagree slightly over this or that. If we would pause just a moment to think of the tremendous, tremendous waste of resources that we have squandered away so that we could have our different little meeting huts and places because we think a little differently, I think we would be ashamed of, of the way we, we, we address this issue of the seriousness of how we think uh, and what we believe. Uh, I've learned over the years uh, and this with websites, this has become a lot easier because many churches or even uh, Christian schools will have a statement of faith um, uh, on their on their website. I always like to go to those, and I'm not really interested that much in reading it. Sometimes I look for a couple of details, and usually with about three de- details, you can kind of pigeonhole uh, where the, where they're coming from. But what I really look for is the length. You know, if, if I see a, a church or a church a Christian school and they've got a five- to eight-page statement of faith, uh, I, I feel like these people are trying to exclude somebody. They're not trying to include anybody. They're trying to keep people out, not in. And, it, you know, you go down and check all these boxes, and if you think like we do, well, we'll accept you into our fellowship, and, and uh, maybe you'll learn to believe like, like we do, and, and then you'll be right like we are. And that's just never been important uh, in the, in the Bible. There are only a handful of things that really should distinguish Christians in terms of our uniformity of thinking. I'm not going to go into those right now um, because, again, everybody might have their, their list of three to five that's a little bit different. But really when we boil it down, uh, those are not the important things when we get much beyond three to five uh, items that we should all share in common. Um, now, as a remedy, uh, I promised uh, to suggest something that might get us out of that mind frame. Uh, when you look at another Christian, and if you have the thought 
or the feelings, you know, I don't like that person or I don't trust that person or I don't like the way that person thinks or you think of them as being too far to the left or if you're out on the left, too far to the right. And, and you know, I've always said, you know, when you tell me somebody's left of, uh, left of center, that means they're left of you and they're right of you because you, you always think that you're in the dead center. Well, that's unfortunate because most of us are not. But if you look at people that way, I would just simply to challenge you to be aware of that and how you measure these other people uh, in their Christian walk by what they believe, by the church they attend, by the sign that's in the yard of that church, by their doctrinal statement, or by their love, which we will cover in greater detail, detail later. Hey, we're going to be back in just a few minutes. We'll pick up with the third reason Christians don't live like Christians. Stay with us. We'll return in a moment with host Steve Russell and Christian Living That Counts. Many Christians worry about how to share their faith. They even feel guilty about not sharing. Hi, this is Steve Russell, host of Christian Living That Counts on toginet.com. Christians sharing their faith feel awkward and bothersome sometimes. But my friend Bobby Bateman has a unique way to break the ice and open the door for a casual conversation. Join us soon for the interview with Bobby about his unique idea or learn more now at his website. It's personaltous.com. Once again, that website is itspersonaltous.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host, Steve Russell. Welcome back to Christian Living That Counts. We're looking at some reasons why Christians don't live like Christians. We're on reason number three. I told the audience in the first segment that we are looking at these. I have 12 to try and cover today, uh, and there may be 12,000. Who knows? Uh, we're going to look at these, and I'm going to offer you some possibilities. And uh, if I happen to hit on one that uh, comes home to your heart and mind, then uh, so be it. Uh, and you're always welcome, again, to send in some of these reasons that you think might be added to the list. I'm steverussell.org at gmail.com. Very easy to find. Let's go on to number three. By the way, the first two, we said that the main reason Christians uh, don't live like Christians is we confuse hearing with doing. Uh, the second one we said we also confuse believing or thinking with doing uh, and thinking that just because we have our uh, doctrine straight that that means that we're doing the right thing in your Christian life. So those were the first two. Let's move on to number three. Uh, I think we confuse presence with participation. Now let that sink in for just a minute and 
Let, let, let me give you an anecdote to go with that. And I apologize again for being a man. And you know how we are. We pick out some sports uh, illustration. You know, it's amazing. Uh, if sports had been as popular in Jesus' day, the whole parable of the Bible might have been different. But, but if you'll let me uh, indulge in this one with me, just think of yourself involved in any sporting activity. But we'll just use, uh, say, a baseball game or a softball game. And you're up there in the audience, and um, somebody, you know, the bases are loaded. It's the bottom of the ninth. The the uh, the visiting team is ahead by three runs. There's a batter at the plate that counts 3-2. The excitement's building, and if they can hit this one out of the park, everything's going to break loose. And sure enough, wham, that uh, college uh, girl knocks that softball over the fence. Four-run score. Home team wins. Yeehaw. Some people in those stands with their faces painted, their shirts off, and their crazy hats on, you would think they hit that Grand Slam home run. They get excited. Oh, they were, they were there. Yes, they shared in what was being done, no question about it, but they, they weren't actually participating. They were only there as spectators. And I find this happening so much in the Christian life. We seem like if we're there and it's really exciting – and it's really something great happening, somehow we feel like that we were we were participants in that when, in fact, we were just spectators. I see this a tremendous amount uh, in, in contemporary worship services, what we, we call those today with contemporary music. And those are often, regardless of the fact that they're in vogue and, and that they're popular, uh, they also suffer a little bit from the fact that you've, if, you, if you stand up and if you go to a contemporary worship service around here, you're going to stand up. Uh, it seems like for an eternity, but I think eternity is longer than that. But you stand and you stand and you stand. But if you look around while you're standing, and a lot of you do because you're like me, first of all, music implies notes. Uh, and you don't see any. There's just some words up on a screen typically, so you're a little bit lost for the music and the pitch. And uh, if you grew up with a hymn book in your hand or, or some sense of actual musical um, understandings, harmony, and that sort of thing, and you, you just, you know, you're just picking your way through. In fact, most of the churches around where I am now, um, if you didn't, if you don't listen to Christian radio and understand what the current songs are, you're not going to be able to participate in the song service because that's where everybody, quote unquote, learns how to sing the songs they're going to sing in church. Now, there's some good to that, and those are uplifting and all that. But if you'll take a look around, you'll find a lot of people like me, we're kind of looking around at each other. And I'll tell you something, I've about decided we're almost the majority. We don't know how to get in and engage, and so we find ourselves just present but not really participating. And and if there's anything in the world that a Christian ought to deeply desire. It's to participate in worship. And, and just again, to continue that, uh, that example, in a contemporary Christian service, if you switch over to an old familiar song that everybody knows, you'll hear the, the volume audibly rise uh, in there because everybody can all of a sudden participate. But it doesn't really matter whether it's contemporary worship or whether it's a mission trip. You know, there are a lot of people that, you know, they give 10 bucks uh, to, to a mission to Africa, and 10 bucks not going to get you a suitcase, uh, much less a trip over there to do some good. But they feel like 
night, once again, they participated. And this is, this is a danger, too, when churches are very active because the individual Christian can be buried away in isolation and not actually get to do any of the things themselves. They just simply think if they come, they pay their dues, they show up, that everything that church is doing, they are somehow participating in. Well, I don't, I don't want to entirely take that away. There's some element of truth to that, but there's also a tremendous truth that we can find ourselves buried away and not really doing the things that we could do ourselves with the gifts that we have. One of the things that's very clear in the New Testament is that everyone in Christ is gifted by the Holy Spirit, and the church should be a fellowship of people where those gifts which Paul tells us are actually very specifically divinely placed within the bodies of the church, the churches, those gifts are to be utilized. And oftentimes, again, we can find ourselves in large churches, a lot of programs, find ourselves isolated and, and quietly sitting over in a corner and not getting to exercise our gifts. So let's not, let's not confuse presence with participation. Now, suggestion. How do, how do I know if that's happening to me? Well, first of all, I may have uh, stepped on your toes and, and mine when I said you look around during those contemporary songs and, and you'll find yourself sort of trying to mouth something that sounds like the words so you don't, like, you, you don't belong there. Uh, but that, you know, we may have already identified ourselves. But here's a question that I, I would have for you. If you enter into any Christian um, uh, event, it doesn't matter whether it's worship or, or a, a mission activity or you're assisting the poor, you're uh, sheltering the homeless, uh, you're carrying meals, uh, any, any type of, of Christian activity at all. If you're involved in that or you think you are, ask this question when it's all said and done. Did it make any difference that I was there? Did it make any difference that I was there? In other words, would that activity have gone just as smoothly if I had never shown up? And that can apply, again, to a, uh, an activity that is uh, a commandment to, to feed the hungry, uh, uh, house the poor, um, all these things that could fit into that or could, could fit into worship. And I think if it fits into worship, no matter how good the, the preaching and teaching is, no matter how good the music is, whether it's contemporary, traditional, or some combination, we have to be very careful when we ask ourselves the question, did it make any difference that I was there? If we ask that question about worship and the answer is no, then there's something very seriously wrong. We as Christians, when we come into worship, um, our God, we come into the presence of, of, of a being in this universe that is so distant from us. There's no way in words to describe the distance of the uh, infinite with the very finite. You know, in the Bible, we're, we are but dust. We are a vapor that appears and then it's gone. Um, as uh, Michael Martin Murphy's song says, we're wood smoke in the wind. Uh, we're just, we're not much compared to an infinite, all-powerful, uh, omniscient God, uh, an eternal God. There's just no, no way to capture the difference. But if we come into the presence of that God knowing that our hearts are supposed to be molded into the heart of God, 
and our minds. We are supposed to learn to think God's thoughts and to have his love, his sense of forgiveness, uh, his sense of acceptance and embracement of the entire world and its and, and its. Uh, um, it's problems, and, and if, we, uh, if we come into the presence of this God in worship and we can walk out and say, you know, I'm no different, something is, is very, very wrong. So I never want any Christian to be present but not uh, participating. So however that may apply to you, I just pray the, that the Holy Spirit would, would, would give you a, a blessing out of that and help you change your life. Number four that I've got jotted down is the reason uh, Christians don't live like Christians is that we're simply too busy. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, it may be every busy person's scripture, is uh, it's a little bit convicting. We always wince when we, when we hear it read, but it's um, when Jesus is visiting Mary and Martha and uh, Mary comes to sit at Jesus' feet to, for his teaching and for his fellowship and, and Martha uh, encourages Jesus to tell Mary to get up and help. And Jesus says, you know, Martha, Martha, you're busy about so many things. Well, today um, we seem to live lives that are busy about so many things. Um, I've been recently involved in trying to uh, achieve a licensure in a certain area. And I've been amazed in the paperwork. I think the first set of paperwork I, I filled out, I put my name, my address, my Social Security number, my birthday down at least three times. And then I got another set of paperwork today, today, and I did it at least three more times. And I'm thinking how computers were supposed to make our lives simpler and how once we wrote it down, it was uh, put into a, a cell in a spreadsheet, and it's there permanently, and it can be accessed by all these different things. But it seems to me like we're shuffling even more paper. I think the computers are getting back at us. Uh, they were supposed to save us time, but what they've done is actually increase the time we have to spend because they've created more work. So um, this is something we have to watch out for, being simply too busy. I know I'm guilty of this as well. And, and let me just pause to say for a quick minute, Paul in Romans 7 tells us about the war that went um, went on with it in his life because he constantly battled doing what he wanted to do and what what he, he really knew to do, but he, he fought constantly to be able to do that. It was this this uh, always this battle going on. So um, I'm not sharing with you things that are wrong with other people. These are things, these are lists that came up because they came up to me in my mind, and they're probably as big a challenge to me as anyone. But uh, I know that, that um, I mentioned computers a minute ago today. We live in an era of social media. Man, you know, surely our communications could have been made simpler. But today, it seems like we've got social media, which for whatever time it saved us in communication, it grew to fill that time with things like Facebook and Twitter and all these other uh, connection devices and and programs and medium that we use to stay in touch. Um, I think my suggestion here to cure this too busyness is just to ask yourself, make a list every morning. What do I want to do today? And what would God want me to do today? If you see a big discrepancy in that list, you probably got some work to do. So that was number four. We're getting these about two at a time. Stay with us. We'll be back in segment three to talk about some more reasons. Christians don't live like Christians. We'll return in a moment with host Steve Russell and Christian Living That Counts. I want to tell you about the special underwriting sponsor of Christian Living That Counts. 
This is show host Steve Russell to introduce you to the Prefort family of Mount Pleasant, Texas. Prefort Manufacturing was founded by the late Marvin Prefort, a born inventor who moved his growing business to the heart of cattle country in northeast Texas in 1962. Since then, Prefort Manufacturing has become the leader in the highest quality of farm, ranch, and rodeo equipment, employing over 800 people and shipping their products worldwide. Bill Prefort, Marvin's son, assumed the leadership of the company in 1988 after the unexpected passing of his father, Marvin. Today, under their dad's watchful eye, the third generation of Bill's sons, Eddie, Nate, and Travis are carrying on the family tradition and business, including the Christian faith that they quickly credit with much of their success and growth. I'm proud to call the Prefort's friends and appreciate their making the internet radio broadcast of Christian living that counts possible. Learn more about this dedicated Christian family and their outstanding business at prefert.com. That's P-R-I-E-F-E-R-T.com. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host, Steve Russell. Welcome back to Christian Living That Counts. This is Steve Russell, your host. We're looking today at reasons why more Christians don't live like Christians. We've covered four. I've got a list of 12. Not sure we'll make it through today. We may have to carry over to part two next week. But uh, reason one, we said because we often confuse hearing with doing. Second one, we confuse our believing or our thinking with doing. Third reason that Christians don't live like Christians, we confuse presence with participation. We were there, but we were only observers and spectators. We really didn't do much. And then we'd covered a universal one in number four, which we said we were too busy. Let's move on to number five. Another reason why Christians, more Christians, don't live like Christians may be that we are guided by selfish desires. Surprise, surprise, right? Well, you know, it's the old uh, radio station of WIIFM, what's in it for me. Um, And all too often we ask that question. We move to our selfish um, uh, ownership of of our time, our resources, and our lives in entirety. And and we just simply don't ever ask uh, about uh, what God wants. We ask ourselves, what do we have to do? What do we want to do? If you let me, again, uh, go to somewhat of an anecdote, if you can imagine going in for a job interview, and uh, you sit down with an interviewing supervisor who's going to wind up being your boss, and, and that person tells you, now, this is your job description. You're going to have to do these five things, and number one is this, and number two is this, and three, four, five, right on down the list. And, 
And then finally the boss looks over the table uh, to you and she says, uh, now, do you think you can do those? Now, if you, if you reply something like this, well, I'll tell you, um, these are the five things I'd really want to do, and I don't really care about your list. Let me show you the five I want to do. If I get this job, this is number one and number two and three, four, and five. You know what? If your list doesn't match up with that boss's uh, list, the one who's going to be your supervisor, there's a real good chance you're not going to get hired because they're hiring you to do specific things. They're giving you the directives that are good for their company or for their business, for their profitability. It's good for your employee to employ your relationships. Everybody works as a team and so on and so on. But if you come in with your selfish list and you just don't want to pay any attention to the job description and the things that you need to do to be a value to that company, I'm promising you, you're not going to get hired. Well, uh, fortunately, God's always hiring and always able to rehabilitate uh, people even who come in with their own list of a job description. Uh, But uh, this is a a big challenge to each one of us to try and replace our selfish desires and figure out how we can do things that are more important than just those things that are important to us. Once again, a suggestion. How do we combat this? How do we know if we're, if we're living totally according to our own selfish wishes and not paying any attention at all to what God's claim might be on our lives? Let me offer this. Um, I would suggest that you do just a time chart. Uh, take a day or two or three and be very religious, if you'll understand the use of that word here. Be very prudent. Be very cautious and meticulous about this. But be sure that you list everything you do during the day and how much time you spend doing it. If you'll do this for three to five business days, which means days you're typically doing what you do when you work and so forth, uh, then you do the same thing for the weekend, which is usually a little different for most people. But if you'll do that for three to five days and maybe your weekend and then spend uh, a little time evaluating, look at the list and adding up the time that you spend in the things that you do, I, I have a feeling that most of us will be absolutely shocked. Uh, we will not realize how much time we're giving just to the things that we want to do with no thought uh, to anything else, uh, no idea of, of, of what we could do to be of greater service to others, and so on and so on. I just believe that if you'll make this list uh, and examine it and, and look at the time allocations, then what you do once you've got that and you've examined it, and if it is a shock to you like I think it will be, what you need to do is go in and replace some of those things that are misdirected with things that are more directed the way you know they should be. And, and this is not hard. It's almost like dieting, except it's time. Uh, unfortunately, food is a, in the United States for most people is an abundant commodity, but time is a fixed commodity. Uh, you and I get the same amount of time as the President of the United States. We probably don't have as much help uh, as he does, but uh, we still get the same 24 hours every day. So we have to use our time wisely. We don't get any more of it. We can't borrow any from the future, and we can't grab any back from the past. So like dieting, though, if we find that we're spending a lot of time in an area we wish we could reduce, then what we need to do is simply replace that. Look at that. You know, if, if you're watching uh, uh, DVDs or streamed movies in and you're watching those from 7 to 9 every night, go in there on a Tuesday and a Thursday night and pencil in something different. And then look at that list again on Tuesday and Thursday night and don't do the thing that you ordinarily would do in the thing that would rob you of your time. So keep a time chart, 
keep it meticulously, look at it after a few days of keeping it, examine it, rearrange it in a preferable way, and maybe you and I can get away from the things that are guided strictly by our own selfish desires and live more like Christians should live according to what God desires for us. That brings up number six, reasons people might not live like Christians who claim to be Christians. I'm just going to say it like this. We don't take God seriously. You know, these kind of bleed over into to each other. I guess we get busy about our day, and we totally forget about um, uh, the role we're playing in this world and uh, the opportunities that we have um, and, and the stewardship of those opportunities. And, and, and we just we don't even think about our Christian faith. We just bowl through the day. Now, if we get stopped by adversity or a challenge or we suffer a loss or something like that, we may cry out immediately to God, where are you when I need you? Well, you know, God could probably say the same thing to most of us. Um, but the, the fact is that we we just don't take God seriously. It, it reminds me of, of, of one of the first um, a satiric um, and bitter statements made in the Bible all the way back in the book of Genesis uh, when Satan appears to Eve and, and asks her why she's denying herself the fruit of this beautiful tree. And, um, and Eve explains, well, God said, you know, we could eat of every other tree, uh, but not this one. And, and, and the devil says very pungently something we should all remember. He says, well, has God really said that? He calls into question something that Eve heard directly in this uh, uh, presentation of, of this story. She had heard this. She knows this is what God said, but the, the devil just simply cast a doubt on it. Has God? Re- did he really mean that? Is, that? is that what he meant by that statement? Maybe there's another way of looking at this, Eve, and we do that. Every day we do that. We don't take God seriously. We just, uh, we, we think church, uh, well, you know, maybe to us it's just become another club, uh, like a service club uh, that we meet at noon and we pay our dues and we listen to a speaker and we eat a bite and we go back to our work and church has become that for us too. It's not a living and breathing organism that answers to God and lives on his very breath uh, that he has imbued into the church. So if we've gotten to the place we're not taking God seriously, um, that's 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 a terrible thing. I'm I'm, I'm reminded too of that uh, scene that occurs in the um, Oscar-winning movie where Ben Kingsley played Mahatma Gandhi, and he's walking along with the Christian minister, and they're about to be attacked by some people. And uh, Gandhi says, you know, to the other man, he says, now be sure uh, that we're ready to turn to the other cheek. And the Christian minister says rather nervously back to Gandhi, you know, I'm not sure maybe Jesus meant that metaphorically. And and Gandhi Gandhi reassures him, no, I think he probably meant that very literally. Uh, And that's another way we do this. We we look at uh, something in the scripture or we have a very clear sense in our own lives that there's something God wants us to do. And yet we allow Satan to ask that question to our own hearts and minds that he asked to Eve. Is that what God really meant? Isn't there another way of looking at this that, that maybe is an easier, gets you off a little lighter? Uh, and so we just tend to not take God very seriously. 
I would suggest in a way to overcome that that you just simply, uh, once again, as we suggested in in the, the first couple of things, that you make a list of those things that you believe that God really have you to do that are important for you, may be assigned just to you. And if they don't get done, then the world's going to miss out on your gifts and your contribution. Make a list of those things and make sure that you're doing them. Let's move on to number seven. Another reason why a lot of Christians are not acting like Christians, they're more of a concerned about their rights than their responsibilities. Hmm. You know, a lot of times we'll get into a situation where we feel like we're not being treated fairly. You know, there is a time, and, and, and we, we've talked about this on this show before, we as American Christians. We have that sense of independence and liberty and freedom in our lives. And so we often want to stand on those and we want to say something as if our, this is our right. And we even have some scriptural precedent for it because we know the Apostle Paul uh, asked to be uh, heard before Caesar in an appeal to Caesar because of his Roman citizenship that uh, he enjoyed. But oftentimes we get bogged down in our lives in, in what a friend of mine calls dollars chasing dimes. Uh, we'll stand up for some principle just to be right. Um, I saw a title of a book the other day, and it was something like, We Only Have to Be Right Once. I don't even know what that means, but it's an intriguing title. But we don't have to be right. We, we can be wrong, or we can let somebody else be right. We can even, the Bible tells us, be offended. We can be treated unfairly. We can be treated not appropriately, and we can give up on that. We can just allow and absorb that mistreatment. We don't have to stand up and gain every possible inch uh, for our own lives that we're doing. So I have found myself um, chasing those things that uh, that don't matter that much. One of my favorite phrases from the late Stephen Covey uh, was his quote. I believe it was from Goethe, uh, and it said, things that matter most must never be at the mercy of things that matter least. And sometimes our rights just don't matter as much as our responsibilities. I don't have a really good suggestion uh, for how to evaluate that, except that if you find yourself in a situation where you realize you just come to your senses and you go, man, I, this, is, this, is something, this is something that's not that important. Uh, all I can tell you is to pray about it, and if it's really not that important, get rid of it. Hey, we're going to come back and go try to go to number 8 through 12 on reasons Christians don't live like Christians. Stay with us. We'll return in a moment with host Steve Russell and Christian Living That Counts. Hey, friends, this is Steve Russell, host of Christian Living That Counts. I want to introduce you to my friend David Taylor. He's celebrating his 35th anniversary as a financial advisor. David is a CPA and has recently written a book to answer the need of so many ladies who came to his office after the passing of their husbands. Often they knew nothing of their financial details or status. David's book is called The Comprehensive Widow's Survival Guide. Be listening for my interview with David soon and learn how you can get your copy of The Comprehensive Widow's Survival Guide. I am not the woman I used to be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet. 
This is your chance, ladies, to hear stories of hope and healing from someone who's been there. Someone who has fought back from the horrors of incest. Minister Diane's innocence was stolen from her in the land of alcoholism and mental illness, which led to her being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by her parents. Yet in spite of this trauma, she has gone on to become a successful wife, mother, registered nurse, and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm free is a straight-up show to enlighten you and to lighten your load. Do not let the weight of this world or the things that have happened to you control your life. For more on the show and Diane and her book, The Story of Me, email her directly from her show page here on Toginet. Then, join us for I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be, I'm Free, with Minister Diane Jones, Monday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host, Steve Russell. Welcome back to Christian Living That Counts. This is your host, Steve Russell. We're looking at the reasons more Christians don't live like Christians today. We've gone through a list of seven. We've got five left to cover in my original list of 12, so I'm going to get right into it and try to close this segment. If you have your own list or things to add to this, I welcome you. Again, steverussell.org at gmail.com will find me, and I'll be glad to hear from you and hear one of the reasons you might want to add to the list. Number eight, a lack of reflection, meditation, and prayer may cause more Christians not to live like Christians. A lack of reflection, meditation, and prayer. Uh, You know, we live such fast-paced lives, and we've talked about being too busy, and we've talked about the ownership of our time and a number of different things, but... This may be missing from so many of us. We just feel like um, there, there's so much to do, we can't stop and pray. And, and uh, someone once uh, uh, told Martin Luther, uh, they said, you know, I just don't have time to pray. I've got so much to do. And Luther's reply was, I've got so much to do, I have to pray. Uh, and I think we should adopt his attitude in many ways, of course, being the great uh, Christian reformer. But this one strikes me as something missing from a lot of our lives. And it can come all these different forms, whatever you call it. It can be just think time or reflective time or a time of meditation. And, and it should always lapse over into prayer. I remember an old poem that went something like this. It said, some ships sail east and some ships sail west with the selfsame winds that blow. But it's the set of the sails, not the gales that tells which way the ships will go. And I think it is in these moments of reflection and meditation and prayer that we set the sails. Uh, And if you don't, can you imagine a sailing vessel going out onto the ocean? Has no idea where to put the sails. It wants to go somewhere, but it has no idea or it just simply fails to set the sails that are required uh, in a manner required to get to that destination. And a lot of us go into our days like that. Uh, We don't set our sails. Uh, So once again, the idea of reflective meditation and prayer is probably a great thing we could add to our lives. We have old adages that say, look before you leap, think before you act or speak. But do we? Sometimes we're just so about speaking first, acting quickly, leaping ahead uh, that we don't do this. If I could offer you any suggestion, which I promise to do on these, um, and these are suggestions to me as well as to you, the answer would be simply don't give up on our quiet time. Uh, You may often feel if you're in one of those busy lifestyles, you know you need to get away and have that time of reflective meditation and prayer, but you're just not doing it. And 
And after so many failures, you just think, I give up. I, I, I give up. Um, don't give up. Uh, keep that on your list. Stay with it. It doesn't matter if you miss a week, if you come back to it for one day. Maybe next week you'll only miss three days and you come back. And maybe someday it'll be part be part of a daily routine. But just don't give up on that. You know, I, I, I've reached an age in my life where I have great aerobic uh, health. Um, I was playing my sixth game of racquetball yesterday, and a younger man walked off the court with me, and he said, you just don't get tired, do you? I said, oh, I get tired. He said, well, you don't breathe hard. Well, I have a good aerobic value, but I'm to the age where I'm losing upper body strength. I have a set of weights at home and a weight bench. They're parked over there really nicely in a corner. My wife often says, do you really still need those? You don't ever touch them. But I feel like if I ever get rid of those weights, I'm conceding to the fact that I'm not going to work on the upper body strength I need. Don't concede your quiet time. I don't care how many days before you make it one day. Just keep plugging away. Don't give up on the time it takes to change the sails and set them in the way that you and God want them to go. A ninth reason Christians don't live like Christians, we have a lack of a sense of stewardship. All of us, we mentioned earlier, are given gifts. But sometimes we, we're not only given gifts, we're given opportunities, we're given circumstances. We just lead what we call charmed or blessed lives. And we're given these, and some people think we're just given all these things because we're good people. Uh, well, that's not true. And they're enough of the Bible, and there's none righteous, no, not one. So none of us deserves these things. And some of us, the best people undergo some of the worst circumstances and challenges, and some of the worst people endure seemingly nothing, and they're just lucky. But we don't seem to have a sense of stewardship that is strong enough to make us live like Christians should live. And what I mean by that, I think when we have these blessings, and if we're in America and we're not starving to death in some homeless situation or in some hospital ward with a dread disease, and God bless and be with those people who are, but if we're not in those circumstances, which the majority of us are not, we sometimes just default to the fact that all these things were given to us so we could have fun. I assure you, in God's economy, we are not given rewards and awards and blessings just to end with us. In fact, you can go all the way back to the call of Abraham. When Abraham was called, he was, he was told, I will make you a blessing to all the nations. Every stewardship that God gives of anything any of us have, which today is not to be called to be a great nation, it may just be simply to use the things we have in a way that helps. So we need to restore that sense of stewardship. What do you do to do that? Um, you examine the way you're using the things you possess and the way you things can, the way you use the things you control. I was tickled the other night. I was watching a performance of the Buddy Holly story uh, in our local theater. It was a great performance. But there's a scene in there where Buddy Holly and the, one of the young stars of rock and roll in the late 1950s who died very early death after less than two years of a, of a brilliant career. But uh, in one of his early record contracts by good old conservative West Texas or New Mexico people, whoever were directing his work at that time, said, Now, Buddy, buddy uh, I get a certain amount of your of your winnings and your earnings, and then uh, you got to give 10% to the church. 
Uh, of course, it's the late 1950s, and Buddy Holly agreed to it because it made his mother happy, who uh, had an interesting protective relationship with him. But the fact of the matter is um, that that used to be that idea that part of everything I own belongs to God. Well, the fact is, everything I own, everything I've been entrusted with is just that. It's a trust. It all belongs to God. Not 10% of it, not even 40% of it or 60% of it. All of it does. The best thing you and I can do is to give it all back and ask God, what do you want me to do with it? So look at the things in your life and try to make the give back uh, a part of that with a sense of stewardship. A tenth thing. Lack of love for others. You know, I could probably talk the entire program on this one, but I think many of us don't do what we ought to do as Christians and live as Christians because we simply don't love other people the way we should. The Bible talks about people who are lovers of self instead of lovers of God. Um, One of the early questions back to Genesis, uh, where we've already been today for one question, was that terrible question that uh, that, uh, Cain posed back to God when he had killed his brother Abel. When God asked him, where's your brother? And he said, am I my brother's keeper? Well, you know, that's a, that, that question doesn't, it's rhetorical, but it was God's question for him, really. Aren't you your brother's keeper? The answer is yes, uh, we are. I remember uh, many years ago um, uh, when Ronald Reagan ran for the presidency in 1980, one of his primary campaign questions uh, against his opponent, Jimmy Carter, was, he said, now ask yourself, are you better off than you were four years ago? You know, that's, a, that's an interesting question, and he was elected uh, two terms as president, very popular, but it begs a question that every Christian has to ask. It's not, am I better off than I was? Is my neighbor better off? Do we really love people enough to care and be involved in their lives? I suggest we all need to ask that question. Is my neighbor better off because of me and because of what I have done? Do I love my neighbor? I have so much respect for for teachers, um, and I, I just treasure them. My parents were teachers. I was married to a teacher. I'm a teacher, father of teachers, and, and it's just, uh, you know, I have so much respect, not only because of my heritage and my legacy and my culture, but also because teachers are always most satisfied when they find the best in other people. They love their jobs, not because they get compensated well. Most of them don't. The greatest compensation any teacher can find is that they have loved people enough to find their gifts and their talents and introduce them to a world where they can be of service. Do we love people enough to give to them and make sure they're better off and that we're finding their gifts and talents and presenting them to the world? By the way, love your neighbor is not a suggestion. It's a commandment, Uh, and it is right in there with that commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, our neighbor as ourselves. Two more real quickly. We often follow habits instead of what we should do. We get in a rut. The uh, late Paul J. Meyer of Waco, Texas, uh, in his motivational and inspirational um, talks and speeches, uh, would often say that habits become hawsers. And if you're not familiar with that term hawser, it's the uh, formal name for that big, thick, round piece of rope uh, that holds a ship in port. 
and uh, it holds literally a huge ship because it's such a huge piece of rope. And uh, and uh, Paul Meyer said that those habits that we have can become things like hawsers to ship. They hold us back. And so we don't want our ships to be held back. We want to go forward. We've got to break some bad habits to live more of a Christian life uh, and look more like Christians in our lives. Finally, we'll round it out with number 12. We just try to fit in. Uh, we don't want to be too outstanding for, for God. We don't want to be too different, uh, act too differently. We might uh, stand out. I'm reminded of the guy who was in church, and he got so excited about the message, he shouted out loud, and a fellow walked down to him and said, what's the matter with you? And he said, well, I just got, got so excited. The Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I, I just had to to to, uh, to get it out. And the guy said, well, you didn't get that here, so I'm going to have to ask you to leave if you keep that up. Well, the fact is, is, is we all uh, need to uh, be willing to not fit in uh, when we want to live the kind of Christian lives that we should live. Um, we all want, should want that rush of the Holy Spirit. If it leads us to do things differently that we don't fit in, uh, that's probably a good sign that we're actually doing what God wants us to do with our lives. Well, we've been through this today, and uh, 12 things that may be reasons more Christians are not living like Christians. Again, send me your suggestion, steverussell.org at gmail.com. We'll be back next week. Thanks for joining us. Steve Russell returns next week at the same time, discussing how renewed lives can make a difference in a broken world. Join us again for Christian Living that counts.